gather here to worship, unlike just to, to acknowledge fathers and, and the place that you guys have in society. I know that you sacrifice. I know that you you love your kids and, and that God has placed us as fathers in the place that we are. And we need prayer. If you would, I would like for all of the fathers to stand and I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for our fathers. We thank you, Father, for a chance to be a father. Lord, we know, Lord, so much that we need you to be that dad. Father, we stand before you as we stand before our congregation. Father, we all struggle with wanting to be a better father. Lord, sometimes we struggle with guilt, Lord, for saying the wrong thing or saying it in the wrong way. Father, help us more and more to be that man, to be that father, Lord, that you want us to be. We just ask, God, that through this day and, Lord, through this coming year, Lord, that, that more and more that we would be like Christ, that we'd be like you, our Heavenly Father, and that people, especially our children, may see Christ in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you have a seat. I encourage you today, if, you, if your father's living, I'm sure he wasn't perfect because none are. I encourage you to affirm your father, to remember the sacrifices that he made, to remember the lessons you learned from your father, to forgive him because we all have failed and to involve them in your lives. As a, just as a reminder of our love and appreciation for fathers, as we exit today, there'll be a gift for you, fathers, as we exit. Well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, as we come to you today, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is a standard for life. And Father, we need you. We need you so much. And, Father, we come and I come, Father, recognizing, Lord, that as a father that I fall short, as a man of God, I fall short. Father, so I ask, Lord, that you would speak through me in your grace, in your mercy. And, Father, that our hearts might be open to you and to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we finish up the series we've been on, Don't Waste Your Life, today we're looking at Don't Waste your blessing. And as with Mother's Day, we want to make it a little more general. As we think about blessing, not only can fathers bless their children, but each of us can bless our parents, our spouses if we're married, our siblings, our co-workers. So our message today is not just for fathers, but for each of us. But there is a focus for fathers. Well, last summer, as we filled our deck with flowers, I purchased some ferns. They were not big ferns, they were smaller ferns. But through the summer, they grew. There were these big, luscious plants. I had them on uh, stands, and they just kind of graced either side of our entrance into the kitchen. And 
being my father's son, as he was a, a lover of flowers, I love plants. Talking to my sister, she said, Ralph, you know those ferns can be saved. You can take them inside. She said, you'll lose a few leaves, but they'll make it through the winter if you're willing to sweep a little bit. Well, I took it in. I knew it had to have water and nutrients. I knew it needed light. I knew that being inside, that it wouldn't be facing the cold winter winds of Chicago and it wouldn't be hit with snow. You know, it made it fine through December and January and February. Come March, my beautiful green ferns began to turn brown on the tips. They began to shed more and more of their leaves. They look like they're going to die. Finally, when April and May began to come and there'd be days where it was 50 or 60 degrees, I would lovingly pick my ferns up, I would take them outside to the deck and just hope and pray that that bright sunshine would make them come alive. It didn't do much for them. They're still living today and I notice that there are some green sprouts that are coming out. Plants need four or five things. They need good soil, they need nutrients, they need water, they need bright sunshine usually, and they need safe conditions. And just as my plant had all four except for bright sunshine, it didn't do too well inside. In the same way, we as individuals need four or five elements in our lives if we don't have them, we'll feel unloved, we'll feel unaccepted. And each of us, if we're honest with ourselves, each of us long to be loved. Each of us long to be accepted. And if we're loved, if we grow up being loved and accepted, we'll go through life and we'll face it with confidence. But if we miss out on that, that blessing, on that acceptance, that love from our families, oftentimes we'll struggle throughout life. And there'll be, instead of confidence, there'll be fear. There'll be frustration. There'll be worry. I'll never forget when I first went into ministry back in 1979-80 when I was in Bible college. I worked with two different groups of youth. One was in an upper uh, class suburban church. There's kids of doctors and lawyers and huge corporate uh, managers, professionals. On the other hand, sometimes, usually once a week, I'd go out to this home where kids were incarcerated for breaking the law. But you know what? It doesn't matter whether the kids come from wealthy homes, they come from homes where they didn't have much and incarcerated. What I saw over and over was the need for love, the need for acceptance. It didn't matter whether it was in the home for youthful offenders or whether I was in the home of wealthy people. Over and over I saw them, these good-looking young guys, good athletes, great minds, wonderful skills and abilities, and yet they longed 
for love. They longed for acceptance. There was something missing. Approval of parents has tremendous effect on kids throughout their lives. And too often, we miss it. It doesn't matter if we move away a thousand miles. If we haven't got that acceptance, we still long for it. In Genesis, it says to leave and cleave. Leave home, leave mom and dad, and cleave to your wife. But it's hard to leave home emotionally if you haven't had that acceptance. We respond in different ways. Sometimes we respond with workaholism. Sometimes we become alcoholics. Sometimes we move toward withdrawal, depression. This lack, this lack of acceptance leads to a lifelong search. We see in scriptures that this is not a new occurrence. It didn't just start happening during this time period. In Genesis 27, the chapter that Pastor Eric read, we read, or, uh, we read and we uh, saw that Esau, when he heard that his father had blessed his brother through deception, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. And then he says, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Did, did you sense that heartbreak in those words? Did you feel the hurt? Esau was no wimp. He was an outdoorsman, remember? He was the hairy guy who loved to hunt, who loved to fish. He was a sportsman. And yet, at age 40, he cried. He cried. And each of us, a lot more like Esau than we want to acknowledge. We long to know that mom and dad care, that they love us, that they accept us, that they value us. And God is a God of lineage. What God is doing in your life and my life today, He didn't just begin. He began generations before as He worked in our fathers and our grandfathers. And as we obey God, we impact our children. We impact those around us that come after us. And we know that if we obey, it is for the good. And God also talks about the fact that if we choose to disobey, it affects our children, grandchildren, to the third and fourth generations. There's a movie or a play that I'm sure that most of us have seen, Fiddle on the Roof. Who's, who, who's seen that? A lot of us. Our son, uh, Jared, uh, was in, in the, played at school this past year. And Fiddle on the Roof tells about a Jewish couple in Russia struggling, struggling to raise their, I think, four or five daughters. Um, and in one scene, um, Mama Golda lights the candles as the family um, sits around the dinner table. And then she joins her husband in singing a, uh, a Sabbath prayer. And I, I'm not going to sing it, so don't. Worry, but I'll, I'll read it to you. May the Lord protect you and defend you. May He always shield you from shame. May you come to be in Israel a shining name. May you be like Ruth, like Esther. May you be deserving of praise. Strengthen them, O Lord, and keep them from strangers' ways 
May God bless you and grant you long lives. May he send you husbands who will care for you. May protect you and defend you. And it goes on and on. Can you imagine hearing this as a child? It was a song, it was a prayer that Jewish people sang to their children. You know, a lot of us desire the same thing. I think all of us who have kids desire the same thing for, for our children. We just don't sing it in, in, in Sabbath prayer. But what is a blessing? What is a blessing? It, it again, developed from back with the patriarchs. And we can look back and remember Abraham blessing Isaac and Isaac blessing Jacob and Esau and Jacob blessing his 12 sons and two grandsons. Let's look at Isaac and his blessing of his two sons. Esau was older and therefore he should have received a larger percentage of the, of the blessing. And yet because of, of Jacob and his mother's dis- deception, um, he missed out on that. Consider Esau's reaction, though, as he said in Genesis 27, 34. When he heard what his, his father had already blessed him, he said, bless me, even me. It's, it's clear. You know, he wouldn't have cried if he didn't believe in the blessing. Esau longed for that blessing. I'm sure part of it may have been, knowing Esau, it could have been the material part of it. But I think also it goes far beyond that. We see the presence and absence of a father's approval in, in, in the life of, of Joseph and his kids. We see that, that Joseph was stable. We see the absence of love when other sons lead, led to hate and to anger. Genesis 37 talks about Joseph. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that his father loved him more than all the brethren, they hated him. He couldn't speak peacefully to him. So we see the absence which led to anger and hate because of favoritism. We see the blessing that even in all that Joseph went through, he was a stable man. So blessing, what is it again? It's that unconditional acceptance, that involvement in your, in your child's life that parents do in order to, to build self-confidence in God. Purpose, who am I? Value in the future. Today, we don't do like the Jewish people did. When a certain age came, they would have a special thing and they would stand before the father and son and the father would put his hands on his son, he would bless him that way. But we still need to bless our children. We, they still need to know that we're committed unconditionally to them. We should encourage them and be involved in their lives. Well, let's look at the passage. Let's look at Genesis 27, verse 25 through 29 right now. And look at the, the elements. We'll see the elements that we need, just as the plant needed four or five elements. We need some also. And we see those here. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. And so he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, 
The smell of my son is the smell of the, of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. And let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. We'll look in here, we'll see five elements that we need. Just as I mentioned, the plant needed the water and the soil and the nutrients. Five things that we need. We need meaningful touch. We need spoken words of love. We need affirmation. We need a spiritual vision. And fifth, we need to know that our parents are committed to us to see that blessing. First element, meaningful touch. Meaningful, was, meaningful touch was necessary as the Old Testament patriarchs placed their hands on the children and blessed them. Genesis 27 says that Isaac said, Come here and kiss me, my son. Now, if you will picture this, Jacob's around 40 years old. 40 years old. You, you teenagers and young adults who don't want your mom and dad kissing you, 40 years old. Dad says, come give me a kiss. And he did it. While Lord Jesus Christ realized the importance of touch, in Mark 10, it talks about the fact that people were bringing their kids so that Christ would touch them. So he placed his hands on them. And the disciples rebuked them. And Christ's response was almost indignant. He says, let the children come. Let the children come and don't hinder them. And it says then that he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Christ also touched the man with leprosy in Mark 1. The man, do you remember, come to Christ and ask him to make him whole, to heal him. And Christ could have just said, be healed. But see, Christ didn't do that. Because Christ, I'm sure, knew that those with leprosy were not touched. And so he reached out and touched this man with leprosy. Jesus Christ knew the importance of touch. And beyond the bestowing of a symbolic blessing, touch really says a lot. It says acceptance. It says involvement. It says relationship. Much has been written about the power of touch, the healing aspect of it, the nurturing, the affirmation. Studies show that children who do not receive meaningful touches often turn toward insubordination, become rebellious. Nursing homes, because they know the importance of touch, will bring children in it's part of their ministry to the kids. It's a known fact from studies. Not just kids, but each of us, each of us need eight to ten meaningful touches a day. That could be a hug. That could just be reaching over, putting my arm around you. For the guys, it could be a slap on the back. We need that. We need eight to ten touches each day just to maintain good health emotionally and physically. But studies show that 
touch goes far beyond that. Studies show that meaningful touch can lower a person's blood pressure. Anybody, anyone have high blood pressure here? Yeah, you've got to raise your hands. Hey, you got high blood pressure, begin to meaningfully touch others because as you touch others, it affects you. Meaningful touch affects kids. Do you know that those children who have grown up being loved and touched and accepted are not likely to move towards sexual immorality? We could go on and on, but I love this one. Meaningful touch can add two years to your life. Two years. Who would have thought it? Again, meaningful touch. It can be wrestling with you guys. It can be a touch on the shoulder. It can be a slap on the back. It can be a kiss. It can be reaching down and ruffling somebody's head. You know, I'm often, you know how I love kids, and I'm often rubbing kids' heads, and too often they look at me and they get their hair fixed. They don't want it messed up. Well, it's a guy or girl. Don't mess my hair up. So maybe when we do the, the hair, maybe we should do it at home. Touch. Touch is so important. A recent article, June 9, ABC News, says this. A touch of the hand, a pat on the back, a hug. These small physical gestures might not seem like much, but they have opened a door into a powerful language in some unusual places, according to researchers. Like, perhaps, on the floor of American Airlines Center in Dallas, where recently the Miami Heat and Dallas Maverick played the third game. They're going to talk about the impact of touch in that game. But these two social, two social psychologists, both from the University of of uh, California and in Burbank, uh, Berkeley, uh, both just, you know, big basketball uh, fans and players, uh, recently analyzed 90 hours of basketball sports play, taking note of 15 kinds of touches. They included things like hugs and high fives and even that high uh, shoulder jump uh, where you bump each other. Their conclusion was this, touch instills trust. Touch instills trust. It, it is contagious as it spreads. And it makes sportsmen and women play better. Powerful. Did you know that? On the other hand, recently a doctor here in the Chicago area divided his, his, uh, his clients into two different um, groups. In one group, he'd enter into the room. He would not get close to them. He was very distant, very matter-of-fact-like when he talked to them. Didn't ask any personal questions. Just gave them their prescriptions, whatever. Distant. With the other group, he came in. Instead of being distant, he walked up, sat on the bed beside them, maybe placed his hands on their knee or on their shoulder. Said, how are you doing? How have you been feeling? Talk to them. Ask questions about them. He was interested in them. And without exception, after the study, those who were touched in a meaningful way by the doctor said that he spent double the amount of time that he spent with them. 
Why? Because he showed concern. Showed concern. Well, it's important that we have that meaningful touch. But the second element is just as important. The spoken word. The spoken word. The right kind of communication in our family and with each other in the workplace and within the church. So very important. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 15.4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but pervasiveness breaks the spirit. Another proverb, anxiety weighs a man down, but a good word makes him glad. Power of a positive word. I think we're probably all familiar with James 3, where he talks about the tongue. He talks about the tongue being small, but also the tongue setting on fire. The entire course of life itself being set on fire from hell. Words have a powerful influence. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. I'm reminded of the passage in Romans 10, 9 and 10, where it talks about the gospel. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it goes on and it talks about how will they believe without hearing and how are they going to hear without someone preaching. Well, the gospel has to be presented, right? In the same way, our children, our friends, our spouses, our loved ones need to hear words from us. We've all heard the story of the man who some 34 or 35 years earlier said he loved his wife. Never said it again because she knew that he loved her. We need to be told that we're loved. We need to express that. Dean Homer was not really a dean at the university I went to. He was actually the executive vice president. But Dean Homer became like a dad to me. He was a tall, six foot four, former basketball coach. He was a Christian. And he loved people and he loved the Lord. And in the grace of the Lord, he loved me a lot. He kind of took me in. He would always encourage me with who I was. He would point out traits that he saw in me that I didn't see. Well, you know, I trusted Christ for all those who were younger. I trusted Christ after college when I was 25. In college, I got involved in drugs. Some of my friends let Dean Homer know that I had been smoking some pot. Dean Homer called me in. He said, Ralph, I hear this. Is this true? I said, yes. He said, you know, you can lose your jobs. I had two jobs on campus. I was an RA in the dorm. I was a liaison with maintenance department. I was also president of the student body. He said, you know, I could remove you from your position. Remember, this is Alabama, 1974, rural Alabama. You see, Dean Homer loved me. He kept talking to me about Christ. He kept pointing out who I was. Kept on seeing the good in me. 
quietly and gently pointing me to Jesus Christ. Each of us need meaningful touch. We need spoken words, words that push us in the direction of a positive thing. Third element we see in this passage is affirming a person's value. Affirming a person's value. Let's look back again at at, uh, Isaac's blessing of Jacob. Verse 27 of Genesis 27 says, So he came near to him and kissed him. Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. Now I know probably 95% of you did not grow up on a farm. And so when you, when you, when you hear this or read this, you think, what does that mean? How's that saying anything? Well, I think we all have a, a, a memory of smells through our lives. One of the smells I remember growing up on a farm is every spring would burn our lawn, would burn our fields. And to this day, when I smell that smell, I am taken back to my home in Alabama. There's that nostalgia, there's that wistful feeling, there's that almost a homesickness. Isaac here was saying, I love you, son. Now he hugged him. He says, when I think about you, I think about a field that God has blessed. Maybe the sun is shining. Maybe the grain is growing. Maybe there are trees uh, in, in the distance there. And maybe you see some birds flying. But what Isaac was doing was, was giving a word picture of something that he loved. To value something means to attach great importance to it. And that's the concept of blessing. In Hebrew, that root word for blessing means to bow the knee. And when we think about in relationship to God, we bow our knee in worship. Today, when we look around, we don't bow our knees to each other here, but I know that when we think of England and the Queen, what happens? We bow or they bow before the queen. It's a graphic picture of value, of respect, of appreciation. Mrs. Weiss, and I think I mentioned this to you guys before, Mrs. Weiss was my fourth grade teacher. She was a sweet lady. She didn't mind telling me where I messed up. In a very loving way, she would say, Ralph, your penmanship looks like chicken scratch. She worked with me to improve, and she just gave me that desire. I would literally practice because I wanted my penmanship to be better than chicken scratch. She was always saying, Ralph, you should join this public speaking. kind of. You should join in this club. You should do this. But the thing I remember most about Mrs. Vice, as I've mentioned to you guys before, is she said one day to me, Ralph... You're a bright young man. You need to plan on going to college. Have you thought about it? And I said, oh, Miss Vice, I couldn't go to college. 
Mrs. Vice, put her arm around me. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. You can do it, Ralph. Mrs. Vice believed in me. Mrs. Vice went out of the way to encourage me. I want us to just take time today and consider who we can bless. Who can you bless for you are? It may be your children for sure. It may be a co-worker. It may be a sibling. It may be a spouse. Boy, I look back and Mrs. Vice, teacher, Dean Homer, vice president of a university, and, and you know, I'll mention my pastor from back in Alabama again because he impacted me. All around us are people who need to be touched, to be encouraged, who need to be affirmed. I doubt that Mrs. Vice realized she changed my life by saying, go to school, go to college, Ralph, you can do it. Meaningful touch, spoken words, words of affirmation. The fourth element in the blessing is giving a spiritual vision. It's giving a spiritual vision. Going back again to Genesis 27, verse 28, Isaac says, May God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. God was... Isaac was saying to, to, to his son, to Jacob, in reality, he was saying to him, may God bless you. And whatever you receive in life is going to be from God. It's easy in our culture, isn't it, to focus on education? And education is important. I just mentioned it. But it's easy to focus on education. It's easy to focus on athletics. It's easy to focus on the social aspects. But as parents and as friends, as spouses, we need to focus on the spiritual. We need, if we have children, to encourage them to know that every good gift comes down from heaven. It comes from God. It comes from God. Again, Pastor Young gave me a vision spiritually. He made sure that my worldviews were biblical and that God was the center of my thinking. He counseled me over and over he counseled with me. He fed me books to read. He encouraged me to go to Bible college and seminary. And once I was there, he made sure that people knew my needs. I graduated from Bible college and seminary without owing a penny. No debt. He gave me a vision for ministry and pointed me toward missions. He made sure that I interacted with, with all our mission, missionaries who came through Dixon Mills, Alabama. There were a lot of them from all over the world. He invited me over to his house where I could talk and interact with them. When I came to Inner City Impact for summer back in 1980 or 81, Pastor Young and his wife knew that I didn't have luggage, I didn't have the proper clothes, so they bought him for me. He was supportive of me throughout my life. He officiated at the wedding for Chris and I some long time ago, 28 years. 
coming up. Well, it's been 33 years since I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and Pastor Young still impacts my life today. When I go to my office over here, I think about what would Pastor Young do? How would Pastor Young handle this? Whose lives can you be impacting today? Whose lives, by loving, by caring, by placing these blessings, whose life can you impact for eternity that will last some 33, 40, or 50 years? Well, fifth element, fifth element in blessing is an active commitment to fulfill that blessing. We can't assume that our kids are going to grow up and love the Lord. And from the beginning, we need to say, what do we desire from our children? Who do we want them to be? What is my impact? What, what is my involvement, rather? Words aren't enough. Words are important, but they need to be backed up by commitment. We need to know and understand our children. We need to be a student of our kids. What are their real desires? What are their real needs? What are their goals and hopes in life and fears? Well, Marsha was a slow learner. And every year was a struggle for her in school. Her parents noticed, however, that she had a gift of communicating with her younger sisters and with the kids in the neighborhood. They began to encourage her. She was able to just to do a wonderful job with the kids, and they invited her to get involved in Sunday school. And after working with the children for a while, Marcia told her parents, I'd like to be a teacher when I grow up. They could have said, now, Marcia, you know that you are at the bottom of the list in your class academically. You're the bottom. The full cards just come out. She's the bottom. But mom and dad didn't do that. They said to her, Marsha, you can do it if you work at it, if you work hard, and we're there with you, supporting you. Well, the typical four years for typical education took six and a half years for Marsha. But she got her degree. And when all of the other teachers who graduated were looking for jobs, Marsha had a job. Because during her student teaching, she did such a great job with the students and loving them and communicating with them. Marcia had a job. The others were looking. All because mom and dad were committed, committed to Marcia, no matter what. Well, who can you encourage today? Your child? Your spouse? Your co-worker, your friend, siblings, I want you to think about it. Whose life can you impact? We all know that the foundation, the foundation of any child or adult stability is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's where it all starts. But all these other things play a part. We should seek in every way to be there for our kids, to see that they're nurtured in the ways of the Lord. Paul says to fathers on this Father's Day, we're to nourish our, our children's walk 
with God by instruction and by encouragement. And that requires, my friend, active participation. Blessings. We all long for blessings. We all long to be loved. I've seen these tough, burly men say, I don't care what my dad thinks. I don't care. But in reality, they're brokenhearted. And it shows up in different ways. So don't fool, we, we should not fool ourselves today in saying we don't care. We do care. So if our father or if our mother has failed us, we need to forgive on this Father's Day. We need to affirm our fathers for who they are and our mothers. And as we look around in life, whether it's our kids, whether it's our spouses, whomever, remember the blessing. Remember Genesis 27. We all need that meaningful touch, those spoken words, affirmation of who they are, that giving of a spiritual vision that God is the one who blesses a commitment to that person. Let's pray.